Second Peter, page 861. This is where we're going to spend our time this Advent. I mentioned to you last week that we weren't going to be um, looking through the Gospels, Gospel accounts this time. We're thinking very much about the return of, of Jesus this Advent season, appropriately enough. That's what it's all about. And so we're going to be delving into 2 Peter chapter 3. And today we're going to look at the first um, seven, seven verses uh, of, of that. And firstly, thinking about, remember that God keeps his word. So let's read these verses together. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You'll have seen that the um, world leaders are over in, in Dubai at the moment for the climate conference, COP, COP28, and it seems that the potential end of the world is uh, in the news now constantly. It used to be that it was just a topic for sort of religious fanatics, and now it's um, an environmental alarm bell that gets louder every day, and we're told that we're just hitting the snooze button and expecting it, it to go away. And it raises questions for us of how are we meant to think about um, these issues? How do we think about environmental concerns, the potential end of the world? Where do we place our hope? And with this COP conference happening now in Dubai, we're already anticipating a lot of talk, but people question, well, what action will there be? What will actually come out of this? What changes will be implemented? Will what is said correspond in any way to what will, what will occur? And there's concerns with duplicity and hypocrisy because it's hosted by the very people who have made trillions of dollars in profit from the use of fossil fuels. And it's very hard to have confidence, therefore, in whatever is said and whatever promises are, are made. And already there is ructions about the fact that the, the hosts are already ramping up or planning to ramp up their, their oil production. So when we look at things like that and we think about promises and we think about them, how they're made in the wider cultural context, we're used to promises being made, but to them not really meaning anything and to them not being kept and to things being said, 
but nothing actually occurring as, as a result. We, year after year, we have the same old, same old, and so we, we naturally and, and rightfully become cynical of, of these things. And so we're left asking, well, what world will those coming after us have, if, if any? And we're told that 2023 was the hottest year on record, and that if we go up by another 1.5 degrees, well, that's going to be the end of it all. Now, Advent actually has immediate relevance to global warming. That might sound like a weird statement to you, <laughs> but it actually does. Because Advent is asking you, what are you waiting for? How will this world end? How are you going to put your hope in? And where is our destiny? Advent is concerned with anticipating the return of Jesus. And it is the return of Jesus which determines all these things. The future of this world, the future of every individual, and the way in which we can trust what God says in the midst of that, because what he says he means and he keeps his promises. He keeps his word. He keeps his promises. He always has and he always will. And so the first thing that Peter wants us to understand is that to remember that God keeps his word. See in verses 1 to 2, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. This is now my second letter. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to, to wholesome thinking. I um, have a friend in America who I've written to since I was a child. And some time ago, he posted back to me all the letters I had written to him um, over the years. It was profoundly embarrassing, let me tell you, to read back on the things that I was writing as a 14, 15, 16-year-old. And uh, my goodness, they have not um, lasted well, shall we say, in terms of the things that I was concerned about. And um, I wonder how you would fare if you were reading your diary or letters from, from 30 years ago, how... how well, they might last the test of time. It's kind of weird to be confronted with what you used to think in your own writing because there's no denying it then. And Peter's letters, of course, they're much, much, much older than that, and yet they have stood the, the test of time. This is the second of his letters that he has written to Christians who are living as outsiders in a world that has no time for the things of Jesus. And those People who are around them are really only interested in questioning anything that was said about Jesus and casting doubt on, on their convictions. And that is very much like the context that we live in today. So Peter's writing very much has stood the test of time, unlike, unlike my teenage writing. Now, Peter in this book is reminding his readers about things that, that they already know he says, I, I want you to recall, verse 2, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. He wants to stimulate them to wholesome thinking, to remind them about the things that, that they already know. Now, we're taught a lot about, about how we ought to think in today's culture, Mindfulness is a massive thing. 
It's, it's everywhere. It's in your workplaces and schools and colleges, everywhere you look. And the idea is to reduce stress, enhance well-being, focus to, to be present, uh, and so on. So how we think we understand that is a critically important thing. And it's something that's modeled right throughout the Bible. And it's why Peter writes he wants them to be mindful of what is good, of what is wholesome, of gospel thinking, of, of Jesus thinking, to stimulate them again into that wholesome thinking and to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets, by the apostles, and the command that was given by, by Jesus through them. So he doesn't want them nearly to think about this just as some kind of a, a history lesson, you know, lest, lest the past is forgotten. It's more than that. He wants them to re be reminded of the wholesome truth that God's words, as he spoke it in the past through the prophets, through the apostles, not only about what was said, but the fact that what God said through those people, through the years, was true and was proven to be faithful. It didn't fall through. The promises didn't come to nothing. It's not like the COP conference or other political conferences where things are said but not acted on. He wants them to remember that, that there were no empty words and that they were given through the commanding force of our Lord and Savior. Jesus is presented as Lord. He is the one who is in control. He is the one who's all-powerful. He has the authority to speak, and when he speaks, he keeps his word. And he is Savior. He has come as the one to bring rescue through keeping the word promised of one who would come as a suffering servant to bear the sin of the people and to give them freedom and rescue and reconciliation. And he has kept his word always, and he wants them to remember that as a source of wholesome thinking because they're going to be surrounded by people who say that it's not worth the paper it's written on. But he wants them to remember, no, God has always kept his word. He is the source of life. You can trust God. He has consistently kept his word. And the authority of scripture has been kept and maintained through all that has gone before. And the key issue that is under attack in this instance is the return of Jesus. And so he, secondly, he wants them to ask and to think about the, this matter of the questioning of Jesus' return. And so secondly, let's think about why forget and question his word. Peter goes on, verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say... Where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So he says, first of all, you must understand, you have to get this, in the last days, scoffers will come. Now the last days, sometimes that becomes a very sensational thing, where a particular series of events occur and people say, well, I think we must be living in the last days. That's true. That has been true every day since Jesus resurrected and ascended to the Father. Every day from then until his return that we're anticipating in Advent, biblically, is the last days. Okay? You're living in the last days now. There are no last, last days. There is simply the time Jesus ascended 
and the time Jesus will return. Every day is your last day in that respect, right? So anything you come across that says, I think these are the last days. Yes, they are, but not because of whatever's happening right now. Because they've always been the last days and will be until Jesus' return biblically. Okay? Now, but Peter says, you'll know you're living in those last days because people will start to scoff the return of, um, start to scoff and question Jesus' return. But what precedes that is that they follow their own evil desires, verse 3. They start to follow their own evil desires. Then comes the doubting of God's word. Now it's meant to work the other way around. That God's word speaks into your desires and causes you to doubt your thinking about what is right. And you're corrected to understand God's way of doing things. And adjust accordingly. But what's happening here is that they follow their own evil desires. And what happens then is God's word is questioned. That is always the way in which it occurs. And in this instance, they are questioning the return of Jesus. And Peter wants them to understand that this is a key indicator of something to expect in between now and when Jesus returns. People will say, where is this coming he promised. So ironically, one of the signs in living in the last days is a constant questioning of what Jesus said and casting doubt on whether anything of what he says will come to pass. So rather than that evidence in Christianity or in, in things of Jesus becoming irrelevant, the scriptures have anticipated one, one of the sure signs that these are the last days is that people will say, well, I don't think any of this has any relevance. And Jesus is coming back. I mean, that's just a ridiculous concept. This is something which has always been the case and always will be until it actually happens. Now, you might be okay with certain words of what Jesus has said. So you might think, well, I don't, wouldn't consider myself a scoffer. Or I wouldn't really be someone to question that. But you might be okay with ideas like Jesus saying, do not judge but he also said that he would return and he, he would return to bring judgment on, on the whole world. And Jesus said that he is coming back. But they question that. Where is this coming? He promised. So they're following their own desires and deciding, no, this whole promise of, Jesus, of his coming back, forget it. That's just nonsense. They, they scoff. King Charles was um, at the conference in Dubai and he said that we had reached a turning point and he explained that we remain so dreadfully far off track. And the scoffers here say that basically Jesus is dreadfully off track. He's nowhere near keeping any of his commitments. It's all just words that he said that he cannot and is not going to act on. And they say that it, it, it's all just empty, empty words. And the turning point they push for is to just drop all this foolish confidence in what Jesus said about it. Because it's not going to happen. It's like if you're new to Ireland, one of the things you have to get used to is that a lot of the time we say things we don't actually mean. And it's very difficult to understand how this works culturally. 
And so you ask us, do you want us to come around for dinner? You want to come around for coffee? Oh, yes, yes, yes. But you try to make an arrangement. And then suddenly people think, oh, I can't make it. You'll find that. Irish commitments can be like that. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. And in this instance, these scoffers look around and say, look, there's no sign of him here. He might have said it, but he doesn't actually believe that he meant it, do you? You're all fools waiting around for Jesus when you could be living it up. God doesn't keep his appointments. He doesn't keep his word. And here they are questioning the very promises of Jesus and therefore questioning Jesus himself. And they say, ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. They say, look, it's been the same old since the dawn of time. There's no sign of him. God hasn't intervened. He didn't intervene. He's not going to intervene. So let's make our own destiny. Let's just live it up. And why are you believing any of this stuff? Yet, there is an irony in what they say and a deliberate overlooking. Everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But creation came about by the word of God. It was God's word which caused creation. And so when they say everything's been going on since creation, just the same, nothing's ever changed. You cannot believe God's word. But it was God's word which caused creation. And this is the thing that Peter is beginning to unpack with these scoffers. And he says that they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heaven existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. They deliberately overlook that. We all are very good at deliberately overlooking what doesn't suit us right down through the ages in climate or politics or wherever. We deliberately overlook the things we don't want to hear. It's happened politically right through the ages. In the, in the Soviet Union, political opponents were purged. Their images were removed from photographs. Whatever it took to fit the regime's narrative. And at deliberate forgetting was aimed at creating a distorted version of history in order to reinforce a particular agenda. We saw it in, in China, in Tiananmen Square as well. You're not going to find lots of accounts of Tiananmen Square in the historical books in China. The protests in 1989 were also deliberately forgotten and rewritten, downplayed and omitted because it doesn't fit the political narrative. We know how that goes. It's dangerous. The implications of that runs deep. Distorting historical narratives changes how people think about their present and shapes their future. It hinders a learning of the truth and is done by those who seek to control, to suit them in power. And so we're wary of that, but there's also those biblically, there's also those who in matters of faith want to overlook deliberately certain things. And in this case, they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. They ignore how we got here in the first place. They overlook it on purpose to suit their own agenda. So today we still deliberately overlook anything that suits our preferred agenda. Well, I like this bit of the Bible, but that bit I'm going to deliberately overlook. I'm going to pretend that was never written and never happened because it doesn't suit my agenda. 
or I don't believe that this is going to happen in the future because that doesn't suit my agenda. But God keeps all of his word. And this deliberate overlooking in this instance is undermining the person of Jesus. And not only in creation, but also in judgment. He mentions not just creation, but the flood. By these waters also, the word, world rather of that time was deluged and destroyed. So he cites these examples from the past. Creation, how did that happen? That was by God's word. The flood, how did that occur? That cataclysmic judgment upon the world, how did that happen? By his word. Things have most certainly not been the same, in other words, Peter is arguing. This is a false rewriting of history. These are two major things to forget. And there's a desire to forget that we are in any way answerable to God. That's what's fundamentally going on in these forgetting instances, to follow our own desires. Because if God's word can't be trusted, and if judgment hasn't gone on in the past, well then judgment is not going to come in the future. And if no judgment is coming in the future, and Jesus doesn't mean what he said, well then you can live as you please, and you can do what you want, and you can just follow your own desires, and none of it matters. And so what Peter wants to emphasize is, look at what's happened in the past. God consistently keeps his word. He kept it through the prophets. He kept it through the apostles. He kept it in creation. He showed its power. He kept it in the judgment of the world through the flood. His word has effect and efficacy and certainty. And so the scoffers may scoff that reality, but he wants them finally to be certain Jesus will return to judge by his word. Verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. At the COP conference, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said that you can't save a burning planet with a fire hose of fossil fuels. You can't save a burning planet with a fire hose of fossil fuels. Then we read verse 7. The same, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. He's right, you can't save a burning planet with a fire hose of fossil fuels. But the reality is that the Lord is bringing a fiery judgment upon this present world. This present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, not, not because of fossil fuels, because of the return of Jesus. Future judgment by his word. His word is effective. If this and this are true, Peter has been arguing, how much more then by the same word will God keep his word to bring about future judgment? His word caused creation causes change, causes destruction, causes judgment, causes reconstruction and restoration. God is not the person that these scoffers accuse him of being. Jesus is not someone who does not keep his promises. We all know how 
destructive and corrosive empty words are. How, how they destabilize and create hurt. You know, empty promises made to you as children. No doubt you probably still remember them. Lies to tell people what they want to hear. People saying things all the time and you know that they don't mean it. People who have said one thing and then acted in another way and the hurt that that has caused and the fact that you never know where you stand with that person. God is not like that. He means what he says and he says what he means and you can trust that. You can build on that. You can bet on that. God's word will never fail you. Jesus kept every one of the word that was spoken of him through him and for him, for us. Never let a word fall to the ground. It took him to his death on the cross. He said that that's what would happen. His own followers alongside him said, no, that won't happen. You can't do that. He did. He knew and he kept every single word for us and for our salvation. And everything that is still to come that he has said, therefore, we can trust for our good and for our salvation. He will never fail us. He can be trusted. We can be confident in his word and we can be confident in where he is taking this world. This world is being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. The return of Jesus is synonymous with the judgment and destruction of ungodliness. Now that sounds very stark, and, and it is. But let's look at what happened here in the city just a couple of weeks ago with the riots, the stabbing that, that preceded it, and then the riots that, that followed just outside our door, there's a lot of riot police outside the door. Not trying to get in here, mind you. But any conversation, without exception, that I have heard about this, even anecdotally, even people just talking about it, says we need firmer sentences. We need to smash these guys. Listen to the political debate. What has it been about? It's been about things like removing benefits from those responsible, creating more prison spaces, giving guards greater clarity on how much force that they can use. Nobody is calling for less police on the streets. Nobody is calling for being softer on somebody who smashes the city up. Nobody is saying, oh, it's fine if you want to be racist and wreck the joint. Everybody is saying, this is unacceptable. And the government is not doing what? Enough, right? Nobody, unless, unless you're one of the perpetrators, seems to be of any other mind. So how do we find perfect justice knowing that we ourselves are not perfect? How do you find that? You know, remember when that woman was caught out in adultery, famously with Jesus, and they were ready to stone her, and Jesus says, well, who 
Whoever of you is without sin, you be the first one to throw that stone. Off you go. They all walked away. And so if we were called to bring out justice on the streets of, of Dublin, and Jesus were to say, all right, before you sort out your justice there, any of you who think you're perfect, why don't you be the first one to sort out the rioters there? <laughs> I just go home. So how are we going to have justice in, in this world? And when we know we ourselves are not just. We want a day of perfect judgment. We want ungodliness in all of its forms and all of the horrible stuff that we've seen dealt with. We want perfect justice. We want racism smashed. We want peace and reconciliation. We want justice for the oppressed. We want equality. We want what is favorable and beautiful and honorable. And that is what the return of Jesus is going to secure. Everything is reserved. Dublin is reserved. This present heaven and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Jesus will deliver that. It is promised, it is certain. And when God speaks, it is effective. You can bank on it. There is no refuge from that return of Jesus of our own making. There is no refuge of our own making. The only refuge from Jesus is in Jesus himself. That's it. In him being judged and destroyed, so to speak, on the cross and rising again in victory, forever ready and poised to return to deliver perfect justice. We don't stand before the throne thinking, yes, we're the good guys. We stand before the throne saying, Jesus is the one who is our goodness and perfection. And it is because of him enduring that judgment on the cross that I stand here. Not because I am better than the racist or the rioter, but because of him. And I am confident that he will bring perfect justice to bear on this world. That is the confidence we have as Christians. The return of Jesus has been promised. God keeps his word. He keeps his promises. If it is promised, it is certain. Because when God speaks, it is effective. And you can bank on it. King Charles said at the COP conference, the earth does not belong to us. We belong to the earth. Scripture says, the earth belongs to the Lord, the real king. And we belong to him, the king of all the earth. And we will answer to that king in a certain future judgment. Not only for what we have done with this earth he has given us to steward, but with his son. And so remember, God keeps his word. Always. Might not feel like it at times in your experience. But he always keeps his word. Never does it fall to the ground. So why forget and question his word? People around you always will. You will, yourself. But why question and forget his word? Rather be certain Jesus will return. He'll return to judge by his word. That's what Advent 
He's poking us to be confident in. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you that you are a promise keeper. Your word is effective, that it's, that it's powerful. Forgive us, Lord, when we doubt that, when we forget that, when we fail to appreciate what that means, and give us confidence in it. And we pray, Lord, that your word would take great effect in our hearts and in in those around us, and that we may live in light of your return. In Jesus' name, amen.